0: Hello and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's our guest speaker with this week's message. My name is Rory Franklin. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Rock Harbor. And I'm glad you could make it here to worship with us this morning. You know, I've been with Brandon a long time now and, uh, I always appreciate the, when we look at the um, prophecy updates, you get all these snippets of information, right? And those snippets of information of all the different things that are going on in the world. And for us, in this remnant, we, can, we look at that information and it has meaning to us, right? Because we can see those events and how they play either culturally in our society or how they affect the Middle East and Israel. And we realize that God's plan is working out just like he told us it would. Now, we may not understand the timing process because there's going to be some long time periods in between, but we can see the imminence of things based off looking at those types of things, and it's important to us. And much of the church is asleep to that information. The, um, the important thing is, is that for us, you know, if you've been here, you know, you've watched people actually get up and walk out based on some of that information there, right? That's, that information right there is too sensitive for them to deal with, that type of truth that's going on but that's the type of church we are, right? We want to present information to understand what's going on in the culture because it helps us to understand who we're dealing with out there, both believer and unbeliever alike because it's both outside the church and inside the church. Now, the um, the importance that gets into then, then, well, what do I do with that information and what happens if I don't do something with it? Well, the the basis that gets down to where we look at Israel today is that they have information from their past, in other words, how God has used them, how He created them as a nation and went forward, and they're failing to take that information to motivate them to operate correctly in the society they are in that time. And this, this event we're going to look at is several centuries removed from the original event, so what we have to take out is that we have a similar event like them. They were delivered from Egypt, right? All the miracles, the plagues, the marching through the desert, the crossing of the Red Sea, how God protected him, delivered him from that, how he brought him through the desert, got him to Mount Sinai. And we're going to look at that conversation Mount Sinai because that's where we're going to get some of our stuff today because you're going to see is that the nation of Israel is a, is a believing nation at this point. And what's important is that when you're a believer then, the expectation is now, how are you responding in your belief? And we still have a sin nature us; so we can still get off track in our behavior. Well, God has expectations and then what he's going to remind them of this is look, you've seen What's happened? And you've now forgotten it. It's what he's going to tell them. They've forgotten who they are, forgotten what God's done for them, and now their culture is reflecting that, particularly in idolatry. was their biggest issue, but the morality of the country had its issues as well, and there was improper worship that was taking place. And so you look at the church today, and it's like, do you see some improper worship going on in the church today? Might be a few problems out there, right? When we start talking about the church growth movement, seeker-friendly movement, right, guys that are just talking about love, 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 right? They leave out the holiness and the righteousness of God. And that's a problem because where's the conviction to be motivated to change yourself and walk better in your discipleship? And how do you impact others if you're not pursuing that? So it's important to, to look at what God's going to do when he's taken to the court is that each one of us, we have the spirit within us, right? But if we ignore God's word and we ignore what he's done for us, we can wander off the path as well. And we can be not in response. And you're going to see is that there's actual temporal consequences that are assigned to that if we get too far off for too, too long. Now, the name Isaiah is um, either be Josiah or Jeshahiah. It means Jehovah has saved. And so this idea is, is pointing back to what God has done for them and what God has continued to do in them. It's about God and his nature and what he's provided them and created them as a nation, right? So he's, this passage just in, in Isaiah's name is letting them know certain instances about God. God's continuing to work in you. You need to recognize that. Now, one of the other problems that brought out is that this points out that salvation is not in rituals, but in the Lord. So in other words, one of the problems they gotten into was the improper worship. In other words, they would go in, they would give their tithe, they'd give their animal sacrifice, whatever, and they might hear their, their message for the, like that, but it didn't impact how they operated Outside of that, right? So in other words, I went to I went to church on Sunday. I read my Bible each morning, but when I go to work, I live like a heathen, right? Or I'm in the world. It's that same idea, and it's actually an infection out there. And He's going to now call them out on that and tell them how they need to get back in relationship with Him. That's important. We call that repentance today, right? The idea of repentance. If I'm a believer in the Lord, when He's calling me out of my actions, He's saying I need you to get back in fellowship with me. And that's what First John talks about. It's just when you sin, right? Pray the Lord for forgiveness, and you establish that back your relationship back with Him. Well, Israel's now having the same call and God's actually bringing them to a court case to remind them where the conversation came in to let them know about that. So the major prophet, Isaiah, the major prophet, son of Amos, who prophesied concerning Judah and Jerusalem during the days of kings, Josiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah, author of the prophetic book by his name. Now, interesting little tidbit there's that tradition. In other words, in the rabbinic tradition, they, they have this idea that he was sawn asunder in the trunk of a carob tree by King Manasseh, and it's interesting that in Hebrews eleven thirty-seven it talks about how Old Testament saints died by being sawn in half. So you have to remember the rabbis had a tendency to get pretty crazy with some of their stories, but this one here does seem to have some biblical possibilities in it. Right? Some hmm, interesting little tie they have in their tradition. Now, time frames are important. You have to look. You have to remember that. From the going out of the Israelites from Egypt until the first building of the temples, 480 years. So from the time God delivers them until they actually build the first temple, 480 years. It's a long time, right? And then from the first building of the temple until the actual Babylonian captivity, it's another 419 years. Now where we're at right here is about three centuries into that. So you're about 700 years out, roughly, give or take. I'm not David. I can't get quite as specific on the dates, but you're about you're about seven centuries out. Well. What does that tell you? This conversation he's reminding him of took place seven centuries ago, and yet he's talking to him as he expects them to be responding to it directly. Well, for Christianity, right, as we develop in God's plan, the cross is that same reminder. It's two centuries. we're talking two eons ago, right? But God still expects us to be motivated by His actions on that cross. That's the implications of that. And we're going to look as when we stop being motivated by that and we stop remembering what God has done for us, right? what God has done then we start doing what we want on our own agenda. And eventually that leads us into immoral activities, and God now has to step into that process because whom the Lord loves, he chastises. Now, the kings, both the northern and southern kings, we have to look more at the history here because it's important to understand what the trial scene is taking place here. Now, the northern kingdom, which Isaiah's not specifically talking to, but it's important to see... The timeline for them. You look at Jeroboam and Uzziah; they're the kings at this time. The discussion we're having here, and you look—they were in their material effect. This the kingdom had not been doing any better than this right now. The the boundaries of the kingdom were as expanded as they had ever been under David and Solomon. So they were doing really well materially, but inside spiritually they were suffering particularly from idolatry, which they'd gotten into. And we're going to look at how that was taking place. And because when you get into idolatry and false beliefs about God, it leads to other and more activities within the culture itself. Now Jeroboam and them, they created their own temple. And they put a golden calf in it and they said that that was God and they started worshiping it. And guess what? If you look at the time from Jeroboam, by 721 BC, the northern kingdom goes into captivity. So that fast, they went... So they have a separation in the country and they think 10, ten tribes went north, the other two are in the southern kingdom and they think, well, since we don't, we're not part of that kingdom, we're going to make our own place to worship God. God doesn't accept that. You don't get to determine how the relationship works, right? And they suffer the consequences of that. Now in the southern kingdom, it took them longer to get to that point. Now under Isaiah, it was interesting the, the principle really gets personal for him and we can look at this is that he was obviously, he was a very good king, actually as his effect was he was such a good king, he was actually recognized as far away as Egypt. And that's a big deal. When you look at Egypt, they were somewhat anti-Semitic. As you can imagine, after taking the thrashing several centuries before, it still kind of resonated with them, right? So they didn't necessarily view Israel popularly, but they recognized Uzziah as a good king. So that's how his effect was. The problem was that in all the effect in the material world, Uzziah got prideful. And so he decided to go into the temple and burn incense on the altar, which is only for the priest to do. And they tried to get him not to, but he went in there. He puts the incense on there and immediately is struck with leprosy. And for the rest of his days, he had leprosy until he died. And that's why you see Uzziah and Jotham, he had that co-ruler. That's because now he had to live in isolation and anybody wanted to come visit him, he had to cry out, unclean, unclean, right? It's the opposite of holy. So it was a status he had to now live with for the rest of his life because of that transgression against how he came to God. Important concept to look at, right? That God just doesn't accept anything in how you come to him. Now, obviously, the nation, as you see, took longer. They were actually delivered from the Assyrians, right? And it's not until the Babylonian was on. So like we talk about today in the frames. Well, for us, what's the big event we're looking for, right? The rapture, man, we're waiting. We're waiting because we're looking at the world going crazy. And we look at the, the feed over here. And we look at the Middle East. And we look at all that's going on with Israel. And are like, man, when, Lord? When, right? When? Are, we're ready. But the Lord has his plan. And so, as you notice, I'm just doing verses 1 through 8. Now, if I get another opportunity to come up here again, Lord willing, he doesn't take us home first. We're going to look at the remnant. Verse 9 is a very specific message to the remnant. And actually, Isaiah, he's not the initiator of that, but he's the most well-developed on that. He has a lot to say to them specifically. And as a remnant church, we talk about that, right? What does that mean? Well, God specifically speaks to this very Jewish concept. There's always been a group within his people that continue to operate correctly despite the circumstances around them, right? You get that idea. So when we look at our our church, we talk about remnant, we're looking at the craziness on the screen. We're the ones who are like, no, we're not going to continue to fall into that. But if we don't continue to remind ourselves of God's truth, it's possible for us to slip into that type of apostasy. And so we want to maintain, we want to keep ourselves girded up to endure through the challenges. And that's what happens here. Now, so that principle is God does not accept improper worship. Well then, how do I engage the culture today? Where is improper worship prevalent in our society? We talked about like the church seeker, friendly, sorry, seeker friendly, church friendly growth, right move. A lot of people have come out of that as they're in that, and they realize as things have gotten more difficult, they realize there's something wrong there. And now we've had people come to our, even our church here, and I've talked to people online. I do a lot of the online stuff. And people are looking for answers that those churches aren't giving them, right? That's the remnant that's willing to engage the culture to help them and build up proper discipleship so they can be effective right now. But what's the prediction for the church? It's apostasy, right? That's the direction it's heading. So even though God has told us where it's going, we know that improper worship is a big key with God. And so for us, we have to maintain that, and that's how we actually affect society. Now, what were the two what was going on that he' specifically was dealing with in idolatry? Most of us are familiar with the first one, which is the idea of the high places and you have Baal or astral worship, the sexual cults, and they would go up there and do a lot of immoral activities that were going on there. and the good kings would do away with that and say they 'd go up and destroy the high places. This is what they would do away with, but God would still be displeasing about something what well, 's the second category that was going on, which again shows you how God is very particular about how you come to him. So they would still have Jehovah worship up there. They build their own some of the places they would build their own little temple and they would build their own altar. And rather going to the temple where they're supposed to worship, they'd go to these high places and do it. And God's all, no, I don't accept that either. You don't just get to make up your own spot for me and go where you want. And so the nation would still get warned about that. Now, what we can get a good principal idea from is in Hezekiah's response and what he did. Now He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses has made. For until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushton. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. Now that's a big admonition right there. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. So in other words, he didn't let the will of the people who wanted to just be convenienced by going to worship wherever they wanted to. He said, no, you have to come where God tells you to. And he had the authority to establish that. Now you're like, well, I can't change where a person goes to church and worship at. No. But you can have a conversation about how it operates and what is right or wrong in those categories. And that's where we engage. And we let the truth through the Spirit work in people. Right? That's what we try to do. That's how we represent in the culture. And here's the deal if you look at that last part, it's a, it's a strong admonition. If you want to look at a comparison, think of it like this when we stand before the beam, see what we're listening for, or looking for is well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's what we all want to receive. Think about what he says about him. None were like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. That's a, that's a strong admonition from scripture about standing up to the culture, is what that is. He didn't let them determine his effectiveness as a king. And so he gets the benefits of that and he'll be rewarded for that trust in God's process. And that's what we need to do in ourselves. So today, where are we going to be facing that at? Well, here's a pretty big one that's, that's got some uh, pretty good roots. This is Pope Francis and the grand Imam Ahmed el Taib of Al-Azir, right? Signing the document of humanity, human fraternity in um, Abu Dhabi. This is back in this 2019, four years ago. Now, that's in reference to this. You may or may not have seen this Abraham house in Abu Dhabi. Brandon's brought this up before, and you're thinking, well, that's over there. What can I do about that? Well, not much, but I want you to think about this. Between just Islam and Catholicism, you have about 3 billion people represented in the world. So that's a pretty significant chunk of people in in the world, right? So there's opportunities for people who need truth right there, right? They have a misunderstanding about who God is and how you relate to him. Because if you build something like this, do you think God is honoring that location right there? It's an abomination to him, I guarantee you, right? But we have to be willing to understand how to bridge into those, right? And That's why Pastor Frank, I know, is doing a class specifically on Islam right now. It's a good chance to understand some of the tenets, what it's about, and maybe give you some insights into how to segue into a conversation with them. We don't... uh, you know, we're not going to recommend going out and I mean, engaging some mob, but individual rights, so relationships, how God works, is relating to people and building bridges to people so that they'll hear the truth that you're giving them. Sometimes it's going to just be a random encounter. You have to be prepared for both. Where do you think they got this from, though? you think that this is just something the Pope dreamed up and then it was just him and the other guy? And God... Would you believe they got it from America? Omaha, Nebraska, Tri-Faith Center, 2006. This place right here was completed in 2019. That circular bridge you see right there, that's called the Abrahamic Bridge. And you see how it has its offshoots, all of the different facilities. This is where it's considered they got their idea for that. So here's the good old America out there helping the uh, ecumenical movement, right? One large religion at a time. And, And it shows you then, where's the church on engaging in this, right? I didn't even know about this until I started looking and researching this. I thought it was pretty fascinating. And to find out there's actually a lot of several other, about a half dozen dozen other um, locations where you have Christianity and Judaism together. You don't see the Islam, but they're willing to, right? They're willing to. And what's sad is, when I was looking at this, is that the Christian community signed a covenant with these people that they wouldn't proselytize each other. So think about that. You have this Christian church saying, no, we won't proselytize your people. Do they not know their location, right, where they're headed to if they don't learn who Jesus is? Can you imagine cutting your signing something to cut yourself off sharing that truth? Talk about a tongue lashing from the Lord that's coming, right? Well, what do we do with that? Look at their inclusive statement. Now think about this when we talk about the church growth movement, right, the secret friendly types. Look at this statement. Country community church is an inclusive, open, and affirming family of faith welcoming all to God's table of love and acceptance. Its members are diverse yet united by Christ's example, caring for one another, supporting one another, and challenging one another to become all that God creates us to be. Love, 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 right? Love and acceptance. Where's the conviction, right? Where's the need to conform to Christ? And that's the thing, is that that's what the modern ecumenism was going into. They're able to now fit themselves into this box which suits their needs and their wants apart from the truth of God's word. Truth's a big deal. And if you hadn't watched the um, conference here recently, David Tao did the last um, presentation, and his, really his overarching message was that we had to be truth bearers. And if you haven't seen that, I, I strongly recommend seeing it. It was a wonderful message. He had a great testimony in the middle of it. And it talks about just obviously in the relationship to Israel how important truth is and that we bear that burden in the society because we are that element that's doing it right now, right? We're here to give ourselves and arm ourselves and equip ourselves to fight that battle out there. We need that information. Now, I'll add the next part in here because I thought it was very interesting. The church was founded in 1949 as part of the United Church of Christ, which is known as the oldest denomination in the United States going back to the pilgrims. I look at that and I thought, man, if you were able to get some pilgrims out today and take them to that church, what do you think they would think of that church? How do you think they would respond? Might be some people getting flogged over that from their times, right? Could be pretty bad. And it shows you know, how far does your theology have to get off to not having proper boundaries with God and the people that you're inviting in. Because God clearly has them, right? Does everybody just get to come to God? No. If you don't accept Christ, who gave the substitutionary death, there's a boundary there, right? There's a need to respond to God correctly in your relationship to him on the salvation sense. Well, once you've been saved, he still has expectations because of that price, that we now respond to Him properly. So we must be willing to stand up to wrong worship practices. We have to be. That is a calling. That working the field is being willing to engage those false practices. And this is just one category. Obviously, in that in America, there's plenty of Joel Olsteins out there, right? That will tickle your ears, which is what we warned are coming, right? There's lots of people like that who, when given the opportunity on live television, right, and and he's on Larry King, if you ever saw this before, and Larry King throws him a softball and says, you know, do you believe Jesus Christ is the only way? Now, how would anybody else respond to that? Well, I don't want to put God in a box. (laughs) Right? But that's what it means to be tickling your ears. You have a culture that that's what they want to hear. They don't want to be put in a box. They don't understand that God has consequences, boundaries, expectations, because of who he is. That's his holiness and his righteousness. Holiness is the, one of the key principles in Isaiah that he develops. He totally, he totally puts out this holy, holy, holy idea that God is other and unique and he's special. And guess what? We're called to be holy, right? We're called to be special and different from the culture around us. But if we won't adhere ourselves to the truth of God's word, then how can we walk that effectively? And that's what you're seeing in Israel here. God's saying Look, you're forgetting me. We're going to look at that passage. Look, you're forgetting who created you where you are. You're forgetting what you saw. You're forgetting who you are and I created you to be. Don't, because there's consequences in that if you get too far adrift. I have to. So here's what he's giving him. When he's pointing back evidence, right? God has provided sufficient evidence of his actions in the world for us to operate correctly. The the argument today, especially in the secular world, is that Christianity is not believable, there's not enough evidence. Well, God sees things very differently, very differently in that regard. As a matter of fact, even these things, which were centuries before, God still is expecting the nation of Israel to respond to, right? So just like we are expected to respond to the truth of the cross and what Christ did for us, it's supposed to be a motivator for us. And if we forget those things, then it's easier to do my own agenda rather than God's agenda. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem and the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Here come the charges. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. So this, the very first, that very verse right there, Hear, O heavens, and give O earth, is a covenantal statement. He's pointing back to a conversation that he had with their forefathers At Mount Sinai. We're going to look at that here in a second. Keep track of that. And that's another part where it's, the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children. So we talk about what God has done, part of Isaiah's name, right? This is that idea of what God has done for them. I have nourished and brought up children. In other words, the prosperity that they're feeling right now, that they're living out He said, you're there because of all that I have done for you. You wouldn't even be a nation had I not brought you out of Egypt, right? Had I not delivered you from Pharaoh, had I not brought you to the desert. All those different aspects, right? That's what he's encouraging. Look, I've done so much for you. Well, how much more do we know has been done for us right now that Messiah has already come? And unlike them, we actually have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to help guide us in our walk. But we have to be willing to be in God's word to work in conjunction with that to influence our culture. And so the, the point is being is that, in other words, if you forget about God, rebellion is what's going to start creeping up within you. Now, this, this term right here, as you grow, become great, or important, make powerful, praise, magnify, do great things. It's, in other words, what all God has done for them. I mean, think about the dynasties of David, Solomon, right? How, how vast they were. And at, at this time, with was Isaiah. Kingdom was as good as it had been, right? So, materially speaking, they were doing great, but spiritually they were dying inside, right? Because they'd gotten off their truth in relationship with God, and it was affecting their spiritual health. It sounds a lot like the church today, doesn't it? As they've continued to marginalize the truth of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, then it's easier to go about your own agenda. So here's the here's the covenant, and this is where we want to draw from to see the language. Yeah, I understand is that. When you look at repentance in the Old Testament, the most common use of it is in context to this covenant right here. When God's talking to the prophets, more often than not, he's talking about how this agreement has been made with them, and he expects them to amend their actions back to what it was supposed to be originally based off the law. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Stop right there. So what's he pointing back to in verse 4, right? You have seen, so they were eyewitnesses, all that God had done for them, right? He's talking about the whole ten plagues, the deliverance of the Red Sea. They were eyewitness to this. So in, in verse 14, if you look at that of um, Exodus, you actually see the nation's response to that. You go back to there. But they, they respond, right? So now they're, t- now they're being reminded to continue to be motivated by what they've seen. So he goes on. So Moses came and called to the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. And then this is after that's where the Lord comes down on the Mount Sinai and today it's black on the top of it to this day as a reminder of God's presence there and they entered into an agreement with him. This repentance language, you realize that for people that are in a relationship with God, He has expectations based on what He's done, right? And otherwise, there would be temporal consequences. I have to express that because that's a key issue. Repentance often gets confused and muddled in the salvation issue, and people get confused about their obligations to respond. Now, here's where it gets into the legalistic part. So, later on in Deuteronomy, now God breaks out some consequences if they get off track in idolatry. And this is where we want to understand the courtroom scene. When you beget children and grandchildren, so where they're at, right, they're centuries later, so he's talking about this, and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything, and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it. But will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Now, there's the common outworking that's taken place. the The Jews, right? If you look at their history, this is not the first time. The northern kingdom goes later on it's the southern kingdom, but look at Judges. What does Judges talk about? Before there was ever any king, right? They'd get off track with the Lord, they'd get judged, somebody would come in and take over their land, destroy their land, he'd have, he'd have to bring a judge up to save them, right? So they were cycling through this pattern of a relationship with the Lord as he's developing character in them. Now he's got a kingdom and he's established them and yet they're still struggling in the same pattern. Well, guess what? That pattern continued all the way until Jesus came, right? And, and because of that lack of looking at their past and understanding that truth that God was giving them and accepting their Messiah, they rejected him. And guess what? Those consequences you're looking at right there are still playing out today. As a matter of fact, there's another passage which talks about it some more here later on in Deuteronomy. Here it is. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. This is physical life and death he's talking about, the physical consequences of their continued rejection. Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give them. So God's giving them this call. It's like, look, your obedience has blessings and cursing attached to it. Blessed when you obey, cursed when you don't. And that comes into how they're living. When you look at October 7th, it's a direct outworking of this, right? I mean, eventually, in AD 70, they were totally scattered out of the land for the rejection of their Messiah, right? But as we look at the dry bone prophecy, Ezekiel 9 is fulfilled. They're brought back into the land in 1948, just as God promised, right? So we see that God still has a plan to work them with His people. But because they're not fully in relationship with Him, they're still suffering the consequences of their disobedience. So when we look at them, we think, man, we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We're praying for them to accept their Messiah for Him to return, right? And we know from Zechariah that two-thirds are going to pass away into that process going through the tribulation, But right now, we're seeing that outworking that there's problems over there. And we look at the snippets on the television, on the TV, the news feeds, our prophecy updates, and it tells us, man, there could be some real stuff going on Biblically that could change into that next scenario. And that tells us that our time is that much shorter, right? That's the imperative. It's like, man, time could be really short right now. Do you feel that motivation in you right now to reach people? I hope so. So that's it. That's, that is one of the key points you look at. In your introspection, in your study, in your walk, in your discipleship, are you prepared to discuss the issues of the day? Can you talk about Israel? Like I said, we had this nice conference here. David just did a wonderful five-point lies about the, the Jews that Satan likes to perpetuate out there. It's great information to engage people because it's an important topic which, I think it was Koenig, Bill Koenig said like 100 million people in the church have a replacement theology. It's not shocking, because I would say that probably the largest portion of them don't even talk about Israel because they're unaware of them, really, and who they are in God's economy. Can you share with people who they are in God's economy? Are you ready to bridge that gap for somebody? Because it's important to understand Israel, because what happens if we're gone? But if you shared that truth with somebody, now they better understand, oh wow, God's fully on that time because this guy, this crazy Christian guy told me something about they were leaving, but now I know Israel's in the full focus, and that could be something that motivates them, right? Can you be ready to share that with somebody? Evidence. We're going to look at the next part and talk a lot about evidence. Evidence is a key aspect in the Christian life. You know, the, the accusation from the secular world is we don't have a lot of evidence, but it couldn't be any farther than the truth. I myself, I spent 25 years in law enforcement myself. I, I know a little bit about evidence. And I know a lot about people's nature. I worked in the jail specifically And I can tell you, when you look at the evidence that's being presented right here, right, that you have men that were willing to die for a particular set of information, which we call truth, right? If you know anything about people in here, anybody ever been a kid that got chastised by their parents? Right? What happens when you're lying to your parents, and now you're feeling the wrath that's about to come upon you? What do you do, right? Now, unless you're a really, really stubborn kid, the exception You're going to yield to because you want to avoid the punishment, right? Well, that's just it. These men right here were given the option to deny their faith, but they wouldn't do it. You can read the the records and histories about that. It's a strong, strong testimony to the evidence of what their faith was based in was in the truth of what they actually saw. That's a huge outlier to other religions. We have something that gives us a faith that is grounded in something God has given us in the evidence. Well, how else is that? If you're looking at, okay, well, there's, there's that religious, so I'm going to reach that uh, you know, unbeliever guy. But it's pretty interesting. I was looking, I was watching an article or a um, video the other day by Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was talking to Joe Rogan, and he was talking about how he didn't accept eyewitness testimony. I thought, hmm. And it took me a minute because he was saying, he was talking about it in relationship to our legal system. And he was saying, yeah, it's totally unreliable and all that. But as I started listening to him, I recognized, I said, oh, this guy doesn't believe in the Bible. He's an atheist, right? Hardcore one. Oh, this guy doesn't want to accept witness because then he has to accept what the Bible has to say. So he's going to go to a secular source to segue into his rejection of God. It's an interesting thing to watch people, how they justify that. The thing is, like you know, given the opportunity, why is he so against Christianity? Different people have different motivations, and that's what part of the relationship is. You have to understand what's their motivation Some people, it could just be simply, they want to worship themselves. They want to be God. And that can be tough to get across, but I can tell you there's different ways to even get to them. Sometimes it's just simply bringing the law against them and pointing out their sheer ineptitude in reaching and being their own God, right? What about somebody who's been raised in a home, though, that didn't live their Christianity out, and so they were harmed by it in a household, and now maybe they're marginalized to some degree, and so they're a bit bitter to it. Sam Harris is a good example of that. He uses the scriptures pretty... As a weapon against those who are not familiar with how to defend the faith, and you know, obviously he's he's debating on a big stage. You're not going to face that. You're going to have people that just have garden variety issues of family problems they've dealt with, and it's caused them some pains. And now because of that, they're in some rejection in that relationship. Can you help give them some truth to segue them into really what their need is in Christ? Or maybe it's for a believer who's been hurt in the church, and now they're like, ah, I'm not going back, man. I've been hurt. Can you help give somebody the understanding that? One person's hurt or injured. yeah, you're right, that's a bad thing, but you're still relating to God, not to that person. You know, you need to be back where you're at. There's lots of people out there like that that are marginalized in the relationship. What about the other seculars? What about those ones, you know, oh, man, I'm no scientist. How am I supposed to reach people? Well, you're going to find out God's already done most of the work for you. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Focus on that verse 3 right there. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. What that's saying is that anybody who denies that creation declares God is denying what's obvious to him. God's already put it in him that it's self-evident. So really what you're dealing with is somebody who's trying to use science to support their disconnect from saying there's a God is somebody who has another personal issue, again, and is trying to use science and creation as a way to keep away from him, and they think that's going to give them excuse. In all these areas, what you're looking at is that These are people that are still in need, and typically they've had problems, injuries. We've all been there, right? If you've had family problems and stuff like that, you're not alone, right? We have a bunch of sinners in the room right here. I think we all know that there can be some problems to work out from from our relationships with people. We have to be an extension of God's grace in those areas to people because that's what they need. Now, what about in the church? You look at that in the second side. but what about in the church? We have a third of American Protestant pastors, just going Protestant Expect Christians to be raptured or taken up in the sky to meet Jesus as the end times begin. About half think a false Messiah knows the Antichrist will appear sometime in the future. Really, that's pretty low numbers, right? I mean, obviously, now, in considering that, if only that percentage is teaching on it, how many of them are actually teaching correctly on it in those numbers? There's another category, right? You think, well, that's great. How does that affect me in talking to people about the church? Look at this little phenomenon here that's popped up. For some Christians, rapture anxiety can take a lifetime to heal. (laughs) I can't make these things up, right? Can you imagine that the blessed hope is a source of anxiety to people? What circumstances would it take to create that type of anxiety? I can take a pretty good guess. One, they've probably taken works and attached it to their salvation message. So now these people are uncertain about their salvation. Am I going to be raptured? Am I not going to be raptured, right? There's anxiety in that. And if he does come back, well, then how am I going to be incest? Because I, I'm in sin and I'm, I'm not taken it back to him. I haven't repented of it. So you see how their improper understanding, not being taught properly, can affect them. You see, the pastors can't be everywhere. That's why he has a whole church of people. You have to be able to continue to grow in your discipleship in these categories to share those truths with others because there's people out there that are uncertain about the truth of God's Word in relationship to them. Even though they're believers, they've never been somewhere that's properly discipled them. And without proper discipleship, it leads into improper behavior. And that's your sin. What's improper behavior? They're going to be anxious about the return of the Lord, not the way they should be thinking of things, right? It should be a motivator. Oh! I want rewards. I want to be at that Bema seat. I want that well done. Right? That's the thing. If anything, I should worry about what John says. I could be ashamed. But the shame's not the same as anxiety, right? Because I haven't been as active as I should be or I've been ignoring the Lord, right? Different places we can be at. So we must constantly remind ourselves of the evidence God has provided. See how that pops in there? There we go. And that's what our scriptures are for. Now, Not only do we have the scriptures, Brandon has actually provided, like on our website, there's like a hundred links in there to information sources. So if you find yourself in a conversation that you're unable to answer, that's okay. I've been there. You know what you do? Man, that's a great question. Let me do some homework, and I'll get back to you on that. See, this is where you get credibility with the person you're having a relationship with. If you're willing to go that extra step, that extra mile to get the, the answer that's necessary now you have some credibility in the person you're relating to. And you have some chance to get them to believe what you're giving them. And that's the best you can do. That's not going to make them believe, because maybe they're stuck in that. But your obligation is to go that distance to give them the truth. Are you willing to do that, right? Now, lack of proper knowledge of God will lead to wrong behavior. Now, what you're looking at is that because they've forgotten who they were, God's going to tell them, look, you've forgotten me, you don't know me. And everything is upside down because of it. That idolatry was one section of it, but it's actually a national issue in their morality. And he's going to get on to them pretty good about that. Well, as we look at the demise of the Christian influence, we can see the same thing, right? How is society going as Christianity ebbs in its influence, right? We see immorality increasing. Lawlessness is what we would call it, right? That's the biblical term for it's lawlessness. Well, we shouldn't be shocked but God actually warned us that was coming. He has some expectations. We're gonna look at that too here in a minute. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider, right? You're not willing to consider all that I've done for you, all that's happened in the past, all the way up to this date, over the centuries, how I've been with you, we've prospered you. Yeah, you've had your troubles, but I've been with you all the time. I've sent you prophets, I've given you my word. Still have they had so much of the Bible at this point, right? Isaiah is being written right before their eyes but they don't consider. Now, I was talking to Pastor Frank, and he gave me an interesting little historical tidbit on this about the donkey in between services here. He said when he was over there in the military, if you were to call somebody a donkey, he said that was like, you better be ready to fight. He said that's how serious of a slander it was, right? So culturally, you're like, oh, that's a pretty big deal over there. When you start calling somebody like that, oh, man. So the Lord was using pretty strong language to talk about their hard-heartedness, right, and their stiff-neckedness and how they were. And this is the, the thing, is like we all have our struggles, right? And they're not talking about a one-time issue. This is a they're living a lifestyle that's now nationally consistent, and that's what the Lord's gonna call out here. Well, what about us? How what does our world look like? And then we obligate to influence. Well, let look at this: a last sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corrupters. I'm gonna stop right there. National issue, right We're not talking this is just leadership. the nation's responding this way right They're often, they're worshiping the way they want to worship, how they want to worship. and actually, if you follow in chapter one later on, God's telling him, "I hate how you're worshiping me. I'm not even going to hear your prayers. that's how bad it is right So again, not a salvation issue. he's talking about it's a relational and then you're a brood of evildoers, but look at this. Not only are you doing evil, you're actually corrupting others, right? Children are corruptors. They're leading others down this path of immorality. So they're actually, rather than being that light on a hill that's a light to the nations or the Gentiles, they're actually a darkness on the hill which is infesting them with immorality, the opposite of what they were called to be. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Well, How about the religious influence in the United States? Now, as we talked about, you know, if you look at our national foundings from the pilgrims, right, if you ever read the the Mayflower Compact, if you haven't, I recommend reading it. You might find some pretty interesting tidbits in that as to what their initial plan for our nation was. Their idea was to come to plan a nation for God. And because of that plan, we've had a pretty prosperous nation for a long time. But what's the correlation? As we see the nation moving away from God, what's our prosperity look like, Right? Pretty interesting correlation to see how this nation is suffering the same type of way. Well, that, the number left, you look at this back in 1965, it was 70%. The number of 70%. By the time now you're looking currently, it's at 45 So you have a 25% drop in just people that are very motivated by their religious. So for us, we, this would be the term worldview. We talk about, do you have a biblical worldview? In other words, how you're operating from day to day, is it based on biblical principle? And do you see the events of how you're operating through the biblical lens? That's, that would be a biblical worldview and operating that way. We are seeing this is the percentages that operate that way. Now what's interesting is you look at the neutral number, the fairly motivated, it only changes two points. It's 23, it went to 25, so it bumped up. So everybody who fell off over that time didn't just go to, I'm, in, I'm moderately indifferent or fairly, they went all the way down to I'm not, I'm not interested anymore. I'm either I'm in or I'm out. Well that would explain a lot about what we're looking at today, right? When you have people that don't have a religious view, let alone a Christian view, what do you expect the culture to look like? It looks like what it's developing into today, right? How do I know? Well, look at this one. Does the Bible address these issues? Think about this. The Bible addresses every one of these issues, right? It gives you a lot of moral guidance about what's important in these issues. But look at the church. And you have to remember when they do these polls and they take the church, Catholic church, cults, everything are lumped into this. But still, It's not like the Bible's moral directions on these subjects is not clear. I mean, how many people does it take to understand what the definition of marriage is in Genesis, right? And just in case you weren't sure, Jesus reiterated it in the Gospels, right? But people can't get that. Now, what's interesting, really, if you take these numbers and you take the evangelical church out of those numbers, those numbers get even worse, quite a bit worse. So in other words, groups like ours who are motivated by God's word and the truth are more solid in our understanding of these and how we should be reflecting those in our worldview. But you can see religious liberty, divorce, I mean, murder of babies, right? Homosexuality, morality. Now, I'm not saying the sense of these categories are of people who need to be reached with truth to get them out of the sinful lifestyle, which is destroying them. So, not about condemning them, it's about their need to be saved from the effects of their sin, which is destroying them in many of these cases, right? Leading them wrong. Well, where are we at, right? That's the thing is we have a really tough time right now as we're seeing lawlessness increase. Well, how am I going to fit into that? Where am I going to engage that at? So here's how it goes for him. then. Why should you be stricken again? You revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. In other words, they're not willing to respond to the prophet and to God's word and get themselves back in relationship with him. So they're getting sicker and sicker. And now they're going to suffer the physical of God's judgment upon the nation. You have to remember at this time the nation, the Assyrians are starting to be much more assertive in taking over their land, particularly the northern kingdom. And that's a good process that's going through Isaiah. So as they're continuing to suffer exactly what God warned them about in their covenant promises, right? I'm going to take you out of the land. This is going to be the consequence. Now as that's happening, they're still not responding. Well, that's what we got to be careful. As we're seeing the world go exactly where God has told us, right? It's going to get more evil. The church is going to apostatize, right? People are going to search out things and the evil they want. We have to then continue to be that light out there. And when I get a chance to go into the verse nine, we'll talk about that some more of the positive aspects of it, to it. The negative is we have to take the information that's available to us that God has given us. That truth has to be paramount in how we live and how we engage others and we need to be active in that. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard as a hut in a garden of cucumbers. Ooh, cucumbers. That's a bad place to be left. (laughs) Now, I find it interesting that little mid part: strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate, is overthrown by strangers. Now, that's the promise he told them that they're going to suffer consequences in the land as their continued rejection. That was the temporal consequences of the idolatry that they'd gotten into and their improper worship. But I'm, you know, I look around today and I see the church waning in its influence, and I look at myself and I think, hmm, I wonder how much immigration plays into that same ideology today. Do you think we're being invaded in many ways by what's coming in our land and how destructive that it is to our country? I think there's a pretty good relevance to that in our sense of what judgment looks like in God's economy because if you continue to resist, reject the idea of being a sovereign nation right, that has rules and laws about how it operates, then lawlessness, which is to let anybody come in without any type of conversion in the nation, takes over, and it's very destructive is what it is. Well, where... Where can we go? When we see these warnings, you think, man, what is the what is type of thing? Well, God, he gives us a very clear, a couple of passages. You can do 2 Thessalonians, which talks about the great falling away. We understand the church is going to progress that way. It's a good warning. But this one right here is another good passage. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry... You know the marriage is like at its lowest point ever in history, particularly in the United States, and childbirth, both. People want to shack up, but they don't necessarily even want to have kids, right? Both categories messed up. Commanding to abstain from foods, oh, eat bugs, right? Which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. See how it's connected by believe and know the truth? There's that truth of God's word that they're ignoring now leads to these behaviors, right? You see the separation there. Well, this is the time that God has called you to. That's what you have to recognize. Right now, God has you exactly where he wants you. And he has a plan for you. And the truth is still available to us. We have to be like Hezekiah, though, right? Trusting in the Lord to operate in the environment he's placed us in. Trusting his plan to work out. Now, yeah, it may go off the rails, but that doesn't mean that God's not going to protect me and use me as I stay obedient to him. And that's where we want to hang our hat. Because here's what it gets down to. There's a good principle that Jesus brought in um, the uh, Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. And really, this Ellie Weissel quote really states it well. It says, the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. You know, you have to understand love in the biblical economy is about prioritization. It says, right, when it talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, right? In other words, prioritize God in your life, and that will then reap benefits in your spiritual life and your material life, right? That's the key to that aspect. And Material may not come with it. It's not a promise to us, but there's certainly better benefits than what will happen if you live a sinful lifestyle, right? Jesus was talking to the disciples and they were asking him, hey, what's going to be the sign of your return? And How's it going to be? And so he starts expressing and talking about how, how his returns come and to watch out for the false teachers and the false messiahs. And then he makes an interesting addendum in the middle of this. He says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And I think that's very indicative of what we're looking at today. I mean, when you look at the morality of the world today, it's really tough to look at, right? When you look at the transgender and the LGBT and you're seeing kids being paraded around in these environments it's just sickening to watch how they're doing and stuff like that. It makes you think, man, I just want to deal with that anymore, Lord. But the Lord's like, no, 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 no. Your love can't grow cold. Love is the requirement to engage and continue to engage. And God's saying, that's what I need for you. I loved you enough to do this. I need you to love me enough to continue to engage. Don't let other people determine your engagement. Matter of fact, encourage them by leading them by example. And that's what we have to look at. Because you go past this next verse, the next verse, it says, it talks about enduring and the need to endure. And that's what we need to do. You have to endure the lawlessness that's going on because unless there is some sort of God's plan to revive and this is going to be extended out, then the time is short, right? Which means we have to really buck up under the system right now and be prepared to engage because it's not going to be easier. As a matter of fact, it's predicted to be more difficult and until the Lord calls us home. We have to be very diligent to endure the circumstances we're in. And you don't know what those circumstances are going to provide you. you. know, It's not like you're going to have a hostile fight with somebody in a debate. You just have to be willing to share truth with somebody because a lot of the times that's just simply what it is. Somebody's been fed a lie or been living under a lie, and the truth, the biblical truth you bring to bear in their relationship with God maybe what turns them around and gets them righted or gets them saved. It could be either way. I was um, out shopping here a couple weeks ago, and I stopped in at Jama Juice to uh, get myself a drink, and I was standing in line... I was standing there, I heard this, hey, Pastor Rory. And I, and I turn around and look. And this young man was there who I hadn't seen in a couple years. And uh, he was coming to our church while we were over on um, Rosedale there. Great young man, really liked him. And he was um, unbeliever when he comes. He's an unbeliever, but he's, he's looking, he's searching, he's asking questions. I remember coming on Wednesday nights and he finally gets saved. He steps forward, he gets saved, man. He's on fire, man. He's got his notebook. He's taking notes and he's asking questions. I remember watching him get baptized, man. It was awesome, you know, just that joy of watching somebody step in their faith and they're growing, right? But then it was about, I don't know, a few weeks after that, man, he started, you could see the slowdown in him. Something was up, you know, and he was talking to some of the other guys and then he pulled me aside and he starts talking to me and he's all, man, he's all, so I'm really I'm really struggling right now. I says, you know, I'm at my work and I've got these guys that I grew up with, you know, and I work with them all the time and they're constantly wanting me to go back and live that old lifestyle. I mean, I don't know how to what to do with it. I said, Man, I says, get another job. You know, if, if you can't get out there, get another job. You don't have to subject yourself to those people. And he's like, Yeah. But you could tell he was struggling with that idea, and I you know, I told him, I said, You gotta get yourself out of that one way or the other. Sometimes living with the Lord has the consequences of losing friends, right? Because if your friends are dragging you into morality, it's not very good friends, right? And if you can't continue to be that light to them, then it's time to get out of that. But he didn't do that. And after a few more weeks, he disappeared. So here he was, I'm seeing him, right? And he's like, and you ever been with somebody who can see the Spirit already working on him, convicting him? So now I'm looking at this conversation, and you can see he wants to have this conversation. You know, we got along well when I was talking to him. And you can see the, the pain in him already that he knows there's a problem in his relationship with God right now. And so he's like, yeah, man, I haven't really been going to church. I said, come back. That's a pretty simple answer, huh? I didn't have to have a theology degree to know that. I said, come on back. He's like, yeah, I know. I said, I said, I said you know, what's going on? So, you know, we, we talked a little bit more, and I, and I gave him a card, and I said, hey, call me, man. You got questions? You got some needs, something like that? Let's get together, you know? Just come. And so I got to walk away, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm really having trouble understanding what's going on in Israel right now. I thought, oh, I just got through going through a conference on this. I said, stand by, right? So I got my cliff notes out, and I gave him you know, the spiel on what's going on in Israel. And he was taking it in. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and we, we parted after that, and I, hope, and I hope he shows up. He didn't show up last week. I haven't seen him today. But I've been praying for him. I pray he shows up, right? Because I don't have to do any condemning him. He knew already. He already knew he's out of fellowship with the Lord. And he knows where he needs to be. I just tried to love on him and... The right way, telling the truth. Come. It's that simple, right? Are you ready to have that simple conversation with somebody? Who knows who the Lord's going to bring to your doorstep? Maybe it's going to be a little more involved. Maybe you might actually have to do some homework to actually answer. Are you ready to do those things for somebody to show your love for them and the love of Christ to them? Because that's where we're at right now. The time is short, and people need that love of Christ. They need that admonition to either get back in the right relationship with the Lord or to come into a relationship with the Lord. And that's what we're called to do. We're the workers in the field. And that's what we're to be about As we see the times getting closer. You've got to be motivated with that. You got to look at what God's done for you and think, man, time's short. I've got to be after that program right now. Let's pray. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the example that you've given us with Israel. Father, as you've called him out to remember the past, Father, help us to continue to be students of your word, Father, to continue to appropriate that truth in our lives, that we can live it out. Father, help us to be bold in living that truth out, to be to give a soft answer, though, Father, to be loving to people, yet willing to engage, not bargaining on the truth, not backing off from it, but still willing to present that in a way that helps the people, Father. We just want to be your representatives, Father. Help us to be consistent and strong. Let us trust you, Lord, that whatever the circumstances is, you have a plan, just let us be bold to act act in it. So bless us and use us, Father. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.